Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And Kyle, man, I like I almost don't even know where to begin since the game ended last night. I've been thinking of, you know, how do, what do I want to say first? And I think what I just want to ask you is, dude, what was it like to be in the building for that game last night? The Joel performance, the win over the Celtics. I mean, this is kind of the moment we've all been waiting for. Like that was the moment, the, the moment of him winning MVP, beating the Celtics, beating a good team. What was it like, man? What was it like to be there? And what were your uh, main takeaways from that game? Well, I'll say there were two different feelings. One was... Man, they just have nothing to offer here. Like everything Boston threw at Joel was just bullshit after bullshit. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're going to single cover him with Grant Williams, with Al Horford as a roamer? No chance. You're yeah. going to cover him with Al Horford? No chance. You're going to double team him? No chance. He's finding the open shooter. Like every single thing that they did did not work. I just published an article. The best defender on Joel Embiid in that game was Al Horford, and he shot five for seven while guarded by him. That was the absolute best that they had to offer. So major takeaway number one to me, they can't defend that guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's that is the sit like big picture looking into the playoffs and saying, you know, is this going to be different this year? Can they get to the conference finals? All that. The number one thing mm-hmm. that you can say if you follow the Sixers, support the Sixers, whatever, is that he is the best player in this matchup and has been able to leverage that. Like, I, I think there's two different things. If he's the best player, I think is obvious. Can he actually leverage that against Boston has not always been the case, even when I think he's been better than Tatum, you know, in years past. Now I just think that he's so good and, you know, Horford's old enough. Robert Williams, when he plays, is, is small enough that they just don't have a chance to stop him. The other thing, I don't want to get negative too quickly, though. Yeah, don't, don't get negative last too night, Yeah, The entire rest of the team sucked. Like, James Harden shot reasonably well and had an okay game. I still didn't think was uh, was that great. But Maxi, absolute worst game I've ever seen him play. Tobias Harris, borderline point shaving. Yep. Anytime Joel Embiid hit the bench, they basically had no chance to do anything positive. So, you know, maybe that changes in the playoffs, but I think, you know, given that Maxi has now basically had four horrible games against them this year, we know what Tobias's overall playoff track record is. I don't have a lot of faith in any of these guys, except for maybe Harden in a matchup with Boston. But if Joel is able to play like that and, you know, the last two games – Last time he dropped 52 in the loss in their last game against Boston, he scores 40 and he scored an easy 40. I mean, mm-hmm. they have nothing to stop this guy with anymore. It's crazy. Well, and that's the – I definitely want to get into the playoff matchups because you're right. Like, at the beginning of the season, if we were doing this pod, there probably would have been some debate, and I know where I would have fallen on it, on Tatum is the best player in that series, right? Now, not only is Tatum not the best player in that series – I don't even think it's close. Like it is Embiid, a gap 
and then the every other player, right? Like this isn't one A and one B in the series. It's like number one and number three. Like there's not a number two, the way Joel is playing right now. But I do want to get into how the rest of the team played, but I want, also want to stick on Embiid for a second because my main takeaway from last night was, so I have these I have these two friends, right? Well, I have more than two friends, not many more than two, but I have at least, <laughs> I have at least two friends named Chris and Kevin, right? talk about basketball with them all the time. I probably bring them up on the pod quite a bit, but to me, like them is like the poster child for the fan base. I thought last night, man, was like everything these fans have been waiting for, right? Going through everything this team has been through the ugly second round playoff losses Embiid losing the MVPs, like the years of losing all that stuff. And I know it wasn't a playoff game, but man, to do what he did on TNT, to, do, to like have the 52 points, to go 20 of 25, like to do what he did. And you look at the MVP odds now, and he goes to like minus 600. For me, it felt like last night was a really cool moment that not only Joel deserved and earned, but that the fans deserved and earned. Like, and I don't normally take this path, but it's, I thought it was just so true last night. And you were there, which is why I want like some more about the environment too. But it just felt like, almost an arrival of like, this guy is the MVP. It's happened. He's the best player in the league. And he did that against the team that they've struggled to beat. I think sometimes in sports, there's, there's moments, like there's just moments where you're there for it. You witness it, you know what you're watching. And I thought last night was a moment for both Joel, the team and the fan base. Like, I think it was just a game that kind of signified like where this guy has from where he was to where he is now. Like that was the arrival moment for me, at least of this guy is the best player in the NBA. He is the MVP and he deserves the trust of this fan base that has at times me included, like questioned him. Well, and so I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I do think that this just feels like, all right, he is now that guy, like yes, at that yeah, level 100%. where, you know, we've talked about like the, the career arcs of different guys and, you don't necessarily know in the moment that this is going to be the breakthrough, that this is it. But like, if not now, I don't know that it's ever coming. Like this guy mm -hmm. has mastered scoring in a way that is just, it would have been unfathomable, even as somebody who was high on him early in his career or, you know, during the, the little bit that I got to watch him in, at Kansas, it just would not have been feasible seeming at the time that he could be, potentially a back-to-back -back scoring champion as a center in today's NBA, or, or just even like, forget about being a scoring champion, just being like a 25 point per game guy, let yeah. alone where he is now, that would have been a giant accomplishment at that point. It was a lot of, Oh, you see the potential, but he's really raw. He just picked up the game a few years ago. We don't know what he's a, just a big ball of clay essentially. And so for him to turn into this guy that, you know, just watching that one individual game, you see a move in the post where he looks like Hakeem Olajuwon with the post footwork. You see Dirk Nowitzki and him operating from the elbows and hitting mid-range jumpers. And then he's spraying passes around the floor, making the right reads, hitting P.J. Tucker for three consecutive threes in crunch time, making the right plays as a passer. He's protecting the rim on defense. Like You yeah. just look at everything this guy does. He's... On, and look, there were some defensive issues with him last night, but they basically had him switch the entire game. They said, okay, we'll put you on Jason Tatum. We'll have you guard guys yeah. like that. 
and you know Tatum getting his in certain spots is not great, but the fact that you can ask him to do that and play that way for I believe he played over 38 minutes last night while scoring 52 points and being basically the only guy who had a good game on the team to win that game. Like, yeah, I can sit here and say Jalen Brown didn't play and Robert Williams didn't play. And it's not, quote unquote, the real fully healthy Celtics. But for him to be able to summon that level of effort 78 games into the season and and win in that fashion where, look, they could have very easily said, well, Joel had a great game, but we lost. Right. Like, I don't think anybody really would have been upset with him if -hmm. they lost that game. Right. But that was not good enough. Having a big game and losing was not good enough. And he did everything that he needed to do, save for, you know, that insane final 10 seconds of the game to get them across the line. And I just I just think you look at the big picture, you look at these individual games where he's risen to the moment in these big moments and you say, now's the time. He's the MVP. He might be the best player in the world. Now's the time for them to go on a run, period. Yeah. And. I think something you just said there is like perfectly put like Embiid has always been good. Like even the biggest Embiid detractors would say he is a top, whatever, 10 player in the league, like six, seven, whatever you wanted to do. I think last night showed he's the guy now. And there's just such a big difference between being a really good player. That's one of the best in the league and being like that dude, the guy that can do what he did last night in two things that you've said before on the pod that really stuck out especially last night, I think we're on display. One, I do think he's di- he's just different than he was in past years, right? So you can see that this season. And, you know, we talked about how the Bucks game, the, the one they, they just lost, was kind of a check-in game for fans. Like, it's a big game, all those things. Last night was another one. Like, if you're someone who doesn't watch every game, you're probably tuning in to Sixers Celtics on TNT. And I think people that haven't watched him as much this year saw a very different player. But the other part of it, too, is I think the for me and I think on a larger scale, the debate has been, can you win with Embiid as a center? Can you win with a player as a center? Embiid is labeled a center and he has center moves like clearly, like you mentioned, he can be Akeem Olajuwon in one moment. But to me, what really stands out about him was on display last night and you've talked about it. His mid-range jumper is just unstoppable. And you know, you you can debate if that's a center or a guard move, whatever, but he doesn't play like a back to the basket center the majority of the time. He plays like in some ways a much larger, stronger Durant, just that he just goes on the perimeter and you just can't block it because he's too tall and he's too good at the shot. And last night there was a point where I look at the, I think it was on TV. They said he's 20 of 25, and I thought, wow, he's made a lot of free throws. And it's like, no, that's his field goal. Like, <laughs> like, that is like what that, you know. So I just think last night was kind of a culmination of what we've seen and what you've said, but on com- on complete display. I mean, what was he like after the game? I mean, like, what was the mood like after that? Didn't say a whole lot, honestly. I mean, nice. if you're talking about locker room mood, there wasn't a whole lot of chatter. He actually sat at his locker for a while, feet nice. Just, I think yeah. he's watching the Lakers game. They somehow got taken to <laughs> overtime by yeah. a Utah Jazz team that uh, has no business at this point of the season pushing them to overtime. So that was that was fascinating, I guess. Well, they're um, like the sixth seed now, I think, or something like that. Maybe tied for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have a chance to push for it. It depends on how yeah. hard they want to go uh, at the end of the season here. Um, 
But at the podium, it was a lot of, you know, I thought it was interesting that he got asked a question. Doc said after the game that that's the MVP. He scored mm-hmm. half our points. How can you give it to anyone else, essentially? And his teammates chimed in and agreed with that. Joel gets asked about it, and he was like, yeah, they're probably right, but we have bigger goals in mind. And then he goes on to most of the quote was about, I'm I'm speaking as well. I'm disappointed at how that game ended. Like we mm-hmm. need to be better. That was a, it's on me. It's on all of us. I had this turnover, this foul. I got, I overhelped on a couple plays and they made corner threes. And so even in this moment that this could be his moment in the sun is like, yeah. I finally got the MVP, all that. The coronation. Jo- Joel is saying, look, what I'm focused on right now is what we didn't do well and what we need to do well in order to beat a team like a Boston, like a Milwaukee, like Denver Phoenix, whoever makes it out of the West. And I think that's another sign of the maturity that we've talked about improving this year that, yeah, look, we know that he cares about MVP. We know this stuff matters to him that as it would be for any guy, it'd be a great point of pride for him, but that's not the end all be all that this guy is giving himself up for the team. Like the passes, the Tucker last night, making those correct plays, even though I didn't think Tucker up to that point in the game had done anything to earn any trust on offense. Yeah. We look at how he plays all year. And then Joel goes on a big stump speech after the game saying, you know, people only care about offense and nobody cares if you don't score, but but PJ offers so much to this team that, and he used the words, he gives himself up for this team. And so I think you see a version of Joel that understands, look, trusting in these guys is as important as myself being as great as he is. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I just think that is always kind of the final level of superstardom. Like all these guys can go out and score 30 points, 40 points, 50 points on the right night. But scoring 52 points and over half your team's points in a game and still in that moment with everybody else struggling, saying the right play that I need to make is to throw the ball to PJ. That's a level of maturity that it's going to take to win a championship. Yeah, it's a a great point. Um, So you've either watched or covered every Joel game. I would assume since it, since you know he first put on a uniform. Just about, yeah. I mean, just I'm sure about. there are probably a few I missed over the years, but right. well, uh, just no, no, none of them were important ones. We'll put it exactly. Way. Well, this well, that's where I'm going with it. So, do you think that's the best game he's ever played? I like, still think that is it, the best so, game. Yeah, it, it depends on if you're weighing the opponent, right? I think the Utah game where he scored 59 earlier this year was better, just in the sense that. I mean, I know he was 20 at 25 and scored 52 points last night. So it right. seems crazy to say that any game could have been better. But that was a game where it just felt like it was downright impossible for him to miss. Like everything he threw up just went in. And it was a a, a carry job of insane proportions. I think Harden last night at least gave him like, a okay, he got, I don't remember what he ended up with, maybe like 20 points. 22 mm-hmm. something like that last night and that at least felt like okay he's doing something here he's he's contributing to the win this is not just a one-man show entirely but i i think it's in the conversation at the very least because they don't win that game if he is anything less than perfect for basically the final two and a half quarters of that game 
So yeah, I, and- I think it's up there. And if it if it's not number one, it's two, maybe three at worst. Right. I'm trying to think of a playoff game that would be in consideration. Like well, the one in Toronto had- last year where he hit the game winner. The game that was winner. another that was a great one. That would yeah, that would be up there. But I just think in terms of taking into account the opponent and the moment, and you know, you said he was unstoppable in Utah, and you're right, like he was great in that game. It is funny to think he was more unstoppable than 20 of 25 and scoring half the team's points. Like that's pretty impressive to get there. But so so oh, outside actually, wait, quick sidebar based based right. on that. So I just saw um the guy, the ESPN stats guy just tweeted this out either last night or this morning. Four times this year. There, a player has outscored the rest of their team in a game. Mm-hmm. Joel has two of those games. <laughs> it <laughs> and it's wild. the Jazz game and the Celtics game. The other two were Damian Lillard against Houston in February and Giannis against the Clippers in February. So he has double the amount of those games this year than anybody else, to put that into perspective. He's just been like, again, one of my biggest – qualms with Embiid at the beginning of the year was I mean this is why when we did our first episode of the pod I was like I would trade him for Shea Gildress Alexander who (laughs) is having a great year for what it's worth but like I just wanted a score that I could trust like a, a guard score that I could trust and Embiid has basically turned into that like you bring that up like he's the best scorer in the league right now he is the best most unstoppable bucket like if Durant's healthy if Curry is you know really going off Maybe, but he's a better scorer than Giannis is like Giannis, you know, he can certainly score, but a lot of his stuff is like transition, getting downhill Embiid, Is there a player right now you give the ball to you go, there is a like you have more confidence in someone else scoring. There really probably isn't right now with how good he's been. No, I mean, there are guys on equal ish playing fields, mm-hmm. like healthy Kevin Durant is someone yes. that I'm always going to just defer to in these kind of conversations. But that circles back to things I've said on this podcast. Like if Kevin Durant was having the exact season, like set aside assists, rebounds, whatever. Kevin Durant's having this exact scoring season that Joel Embiid is having. People be losing their goddamn minds about how Mm -hmm. he's clearly the best player in the world. And that when we get to the playoffs, like all roads run through Phoenix. And Kevin Durant's been great since he's been back on the floor for Phoenix. Like, I do think they're going to deserve serious consideration as the Western favorite and maybe the team that might win the title. But like, I I just, I want to make sure that people, even if the Sixers had lost that game, I know they didn't. I hope that people appreciate, especially Sixers fans, what they're able to watch right now. Like if they, if they end this era or mini era of Joel Embiid and they never are able to, to climb the mountain and win a title. Like I I hope that people still find it in them to appreciate how great this guy is. And that Mm -hmm. look, this, they might be watching the best player that's ever going to play for the team, or at least going to play for the team in the next, you know, several decades, I would say, because you look at all these, it's so funny after so many of these games this year, you just look at it's whatever the thresholds are. It's like 50 points on, 80% 80% shooting or 40, 10, five or whatever it is on this shooting. And it's like, the only guys who've done it are Joel Embiid and Wilt. And it's like any time that you are consistently mm-hmm. hitting Wilt numbers and Wilt comparables, 
granted wilt probably did it like 15 times rather than two or three because... yeah wilt's also a fake like <laughs> i mean let's be real like like wilt was awesome but i think Embiid's job is way harder than wilt's ever was. well it's just he's like i always say he's basketball paul bunyan where it's just like <laughs> yeah he's like none a of this stuff character. is and none of right. this stuff is none of these numbers are real it's just like right. so hard it's... to contextualize yes but I agree anyway the point i'm making here is that when you are consistently putting up wilt comparables in these games and being able to do so against you know boston and milwaukee and denver and, and so on and so on the teams that are the elite of the elite teams around the league that means more than like look the jazz game was amazing but it's the utah yeah. jazz it's right. so i i just think you take the whole picture into account dominating the bad teams like he always has, rising a level when he needs to against the great teams. Crunch time execution is better. Actually, I mean, if you look at crunch time stats, they now have the number one clutch defense in the league. And mm -hmm. that, to me, comes down to, look, I know he hasn't been wire-to-wire -wire 48 minutes of defensive player of the year level defense this year, but when it slows down and when it really counts – that guy is the guy who stops everything at the rim. And so it just, yeah. it all comes together to say he is the, probably the best player in the world. And if he's not, he's like one B not, right. not five. He's much closer to one than he is to five. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is what you just kind of pointed out that you hope fans are appreciating it. I, I agree, man. Like I was one of the people that was not appreciating it. And like accepting him as a great player and stop and getting over like, well, he wasn't great against the Hawks and be like, don't let that shade what we're watching. We are watching an all time Philly, great athlete playing at an all time level. And yeah. So I thought last night I was happy for him. I was happy for the fans. Like it just, it felt like that moment. So, but moving on from the Embiid part of the game, which was clearly a big part of it. The rest of the team was awful. Like just completely <laughs> like it was just, Everything that would scare you for a playoff matchup. Harden was, you know, basically like the look zoned out Harden version that he can be sometimes. Maxi had the headband on, which I actually kind of liked. And then he he took it off and he was still terrible. He messed with and his he, own mojo, man. He was on a roll. And then you can't mess with the gear when you're on a roll. Like I that. agree. Like, I wonder what made him do that. Like, I, if I was, I mean, I'm sure there were more important questions to ask him. But I'll tell you, if I was a beat writer, I'd be like, so what, what went into that headband decision? But Toby was also extremely awful. Like, so taking him beat out of it, they did win the game, which is important. And I think to beat the Celtics, they're going to have to win this way, which is Embiid is just the best player in the series and doesn't allow them to lose. And I don't think that's too much to ask of him. That's what best players are asked to do. But outside of the Embiid thing, like did last night make you feel better or worse about their chances of playing the Celtics? And what were your takeaways from how poorly the rest of the team played? So I want to stick on just real quick the headband thing. Some oh, inside baseball. Yeah. We were talking about this before the game, and I I said to Rich Hoffman, I said, you know, this is the easiest and dumbest engagement you get on Twitter oh. as a sports writer. It's like X player is wearing shooting sleeve headband, whatever yep. it is, and you just tweet out like, and I tweeted headband Maxi or headband Tyrese question mark, and, and I people are just it. losing their minds. And yeah. it's, I said it was silly at the time, but then like you look at it and Tyrese starts the game poorly. 
and he immediately abandons the headband. And so, yeah. like, you can tell me that fans or even myself like overvalues silly shit like that. But when a guy looks at it and it's like, man, I got to take this off because I'm not playing well. It's yeah. like these. If you if those guys believe in it, then that stuff matters. So that's just I, that quick was a side, quick side tangent. Quick side tangent on that. Carson Wentz used to have a cameo sleeve he would wear. And I think he lost like his first two games in it. And I kept tweeting about how once he puts it on, like, you know, they're going to lose. And to your point, like stuff like that matters. Like they're humans, like Carson. And look, the cameo thing is just incredibly on brand for Carson. But like people put that stuff on and you can't tell me as athletes, you're not like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to go today. I got the cameo on. And then you lose. And, and that's that. But yes, obviously, Maxi struggled throughout the game, not just headband Maxi. Yeah. So on that point. I think I feel like we're the number one Derek White Sixers podcast because I brought up his name like <laughs> yeah, you, four you or five times. Well, look, so I think there are a lot of things in Boston that kind of flow through him and the decisions that they make with him moving forward because he is a really good two-way player. And I think you saw that. You see it in the Maxi matchup specifically, right? I think mm -hmm. he's big enough and good enough that Maxi has to defend him on a possession. He's kind of just fucked. Like he's yeah. too small to guard him and Derek white can get to the rim. He puts Maxi on his hip and that's, that's kind of it. And if Joel is not at the rim to save that, that's two points for Boston on the other end of the floor. He's long enough and athletic enough that he beats Maxi to spots a lot of the time. And Tyrese has a tendency that if you can beat him there, he's he kind of just like stalls out the possession he'll just instead of trying to lean through you or go through you and lean into you a lot of times he'll get there stop and turn around and pivot and it's like well now you're really screwed because you have your back to the basket against a guy who's just bigger and stronger than you are and i thought mm -hmm. there were moments last night where white was like kind of in his head there was a play where i think it was early second half early third quarter Maxi is it? It's like a scramble possession. He has an easy path to the rim, and instead of just going up, he gives a forearm to White in the back to clear space. It's like, bro, you had the lane, just go to the yeah. rim. And so there was a lot of stuff like that last night. Then by the end of the game, I mean he's falling out of bounds on inbounds plays. He almost mm -hmm. threw away another one to he inbounded the ball to Harden and almost turned it over. Like just an absolute disaster performance from him. And I do worry that, you know, even if we set aside white individually, it's white and it's Marcus Smart, like another big, long, tough, athletic guard that he's got to try to get by. Then you have the wings, like him trying to attack somebody like a Jalen Brown. That's not really a winning proposition for them. And it's certainly not a winning proposition for them on the defensive end. So I'm pretty worried about him in a potential matchup. I do wonder, push comes to shove, if Melton gets some minutes over him in crunch time situations against Boston specifically. Now, that being said, I thought Melton stunk it up last night. Too, yeah. But that was true of, you know, basically the entire team. So, yeah, um, I, I would say my concern level is relatively high because or for Maxi specifically in this matchup, because I just have not seen almost anything good for him against Boston this year. Well, and the tough thing too, and we've had this kind of discussion with Maxi in general, is I think if I'm understanding you right, like the concerns about Maxi versus Boston are physical, 
right? And, and you're not going to grow or gain 30 pounds. And well, I could probably gain 30 pounds in the next month, but maxi ideally in a is different not going <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, not, not, not in the way I want to, but maxi is not going to be a, a completely different human in a month. So yeah, I agree. There are legitimate concerns there, but the tough part about that, I think sometimes when there's matchup concerns, you can sit here and go, well, maybe they can do this and that. I think the Maxi thing kind of is what it is. Like they're just going to have to win without Maxi being the best version of Maxi. And, you know, he's going to deserve some blame if they lose because of that for sure. But one way to offset Maxi, and I, I think the Melton point is an interesting one, is for Harden to be better. Like Harden, I think he had 14 points either in the first quarter, maybe like quarter and a half or something. Like he had a good start to the game. Felt like he tailed off a little bit. Um, how, like, what'd you see from him last night? Did you think it was matchup stuff? Did you think it was just a poor game by him? Um, cause he wasn't good against Milwaukee either. So I don't think last night was like an outright bad game for him. I, I think you brought up earlier. The one thing I would say that I agree with you on is that there was some weird kind of zoning out moments for him. There was a possession in the second half where they ran the clock down and then with like three or four seconds left. He just throws a panic pass to PJ Tucker in the yeah, dunker spot. Airball. And it's it. like, I wrote this in my recap I wrote last night. A hundred times out of a hundred, if you're asking me to choose James Harden takes a hero ball shot in isolation, or PJ Tucker gets the ball with four seconds on the shot yeah. clock with his back to the basket. I want Harden to take the shot. I don't I don't care if you miss, I don't care if you shoot a fucking air ball. Like that's the reason you are here on this team. Yep is when you can't get you all the ball or Joel does not have the ball or is not in the game, whatever it is, you have to be willing to take that shot, like live with the consequences. It's not like he threw it to wide open PJ in the corner. So that stuff drove me a little crazy. Uh, I do think if you're looking at this matchup uh, over the course of the season, Harden has had some moments. And I think that one, and there are a couple of people I talked about this with last night, um, one way you might be able to exploit them is I think when they get Horford on a switch against Harden, Horford seems like he's conceding a, a decent amount of space to Harden. And so I know those step back jumpers that he takes are inherently high difficulty shots. But if you give him space and it's, it's not like hand right in his face mm -hmm. or hand right near the ball and he has a clean launch on that shot. He's got a better chance of making them. And I think end of the day, I think you he might have shot like four or nine from three or something like that. That's yeah. really good. And if so, if he can just hit those shots and he brings the the coverage up far enough that Boston's got to play up on him, it makes it easier to get to the paint, easier for him to get to a spot where he can hit Joel with that pocket pass. And then as we saw last night, as we've seen all season, Joel gets the ball at the elbow with a little bit of space. That's essentially a layup at this point like he has about equal chance to make that as a lot of guys do finishing yep. at the rim so uh, i think if if that continues to be the case if boston concedes that space on the perimeter i think that's ultimately going to be fine for james and i think james can probably have a good enough series where they have a chance so i thought one encouraging thing from somebody that wasn't joel was the tucker was tucker making those threes like at the end of the day and we've talked about this Tucker is here for those moments, right? Tucker's not here for a Tuesday night in Orlando. He's not here for, you know, a game against Charlotte. He's here to make those shots and to, and to be in those moments. And, you know, the whole game in general, he wasn't great. But those big those shots, like, I agree, Joel deserves credit for giving it to him. 
But the fact he made those, I think, is kind of why you maybe start to justify the $10 million for Tucker is he's not afraid to take them, and, and he's played in big games and played well. So I thought from an outside of Joel perspective of encouragement, I think seeing Tucker make those shots was very encouraging. Well, to the afraid point, I think that's honestly been the problem. Uh, his season-long percentages have been fine. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's shooting 39 point, like 39 and a half, something like that from three on the year. So the overall efficiency is great. The problem has been teams are loading up in the middle of the floor and he just won't shoot open three sometimes. And so I thought that was the biggest part. Like, even if he misses those shots or makes one of them rather than all three, just the fact that he's taking those is a big deal for them because they can't have it be like Matisse Thibel when he was here where he's getting a shot where there's nobody within 10 to 15 feet of him and he's mm. sitting there and he's like hesitating and, and twitching and, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And, you know, I think that was a reason that Thibel got moved is because the Sixers ultimately felt that even if he had shown progress and, and fits and starts, they didn't believe that he was going to be willing to take those shots in a big moment. Yeah. So I, I've talked about it on this podcast. Like, I think that's a very underrated mental trait that you need to have. It's something that I know it drove fans crazy watching Danny Green and Robert Covington and these guys that are shooting through whatever cold slump that they're in. But you need those guys to be wired in a way that if they miss seven shots and they're 0 for 7 – and the ball comes their way in crunch time, that they genuinely believe that they're going to be one for eight after that shot. Like, I, you can, we talk, we probably overemphasize crunch time in general when talking about basketball, but there's a reason that like a lot of guys make their money from those moments. Like, some mm-hmm. guys are just mentally tougher and more resilient in those moments. And, Tucker has historically been that kind of guy, whether he still has enough left in the tank to be that guy or whether he's going to hold up in different matchups is another story. But I thought that was a a big moment for him here. I think it's honestly, that's probably like the first real moment he's had in Philly where it was like, oh man, that was, he really saved their asses there. And if he does that a few more times in the playoffs and, and helps lead them to conference finals, finals appearance, you know, we're going to be looking at the season a lot differently for him. Well, if they make the conference finals because of PJ Tucker, then he's earned his $30 million. Like he's earned the entire life of the contract right yeah. there. Um, one thing, so you talked about how in crunch time, you can just tell kind of who has it and who doesn't. One legitimate concern I do have about the team is, and we just talked about Harden a little bit, but he does not look like himself, in my opinion, just in terms of like his attitude, like how he's played. And so when I look at last night and I think like, how does that impact my opinion of them versus the Celtics? I think Joel doing what he did makes you feel, okay, maybe Joel is ready to have his moment to just carry them against a better team, right? Just to flat out do it. And it's not going to matter, but man, Harden does not, he does not look ready to contribute. Like I, I, as much faith as Joel has earned from me, I think these last two games and really kind of the last few times he's played, I've not felt great about like where Harden is at heading into the playoffs. So I would agree with the Milwaukee one. Cause that one was, that was just bad. That's one of the worst games he's played here. Even if you compare it to the games he played while he was yeah. half injured last year. I feel like we've said but, that quite a bit though. Like, I feel like there's been a few games recently where it's like, well, this is the worst offensive game I've seen Harden play. 
Like, what was the other one? Was it Chicago? The Chicago playing? one right. was definitely the worst one. That one mm-hmm. he was effectively tanking. That right. that was horrible. Um, I think I'm not that negative on him just because, look, I, I think the body work this season's been very good. I think he looked physically great against the Raptors like less than a week ago. And that to me is more important. Like shots are not going to fall. He's going to have issues on defense and whatever. As long as he's moving okay, I think that to me is probably number one on the list. And I do think there's part of it where it's like, Joel's not having that great of a game if James doesn't spoon feed him some of those looks, right? Like, so I'm not saying Joel did the vast majority of the heavy lifting, but you could probably give James credit for let's say six to eight of those points where he sucks in the defense hits Joel. And then it's just a a short jumper for two points. So I think that that matters in the sense that like Joel is going to be the guy who carries them. They don't need James to be 30 point a game, Houston, James Harden. They might need him for one or two games to do that. If Joel has a bad night or he's in foul trouble or whatever it is. And I think I trust James enough at this point that he can do that. It's all going to fall on Joel at the end of the day. Like I, I, I don't yeah. want to harp on one guy over everyone else too much, but if he is who he has been these last couple of games against Boston, they're going to be able to live with tough performances and bad bench and whatever else and have a fighter's chance. They might not win. Boston might be the better team at the end of the day, but he's going to give them a chance to win a series. I, I agree. And we ask that of other great players at the end of the day you know like we just do so the last question i have for you before we wrap this up um we've touched on it kind of throughout the pod but i want to just like firmly get 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 a discussion on it how does last night impact how you feel about the matchup versus boston because i can start the pod saying that was his moment like blah 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 they moved to one and three against boston you, you know like like it wasn't you know that they're they're now three and one against them i do think and going into this game we talked about it there is a huge mental edge to, to winning that game. Like no matter how they want, whatever, just to win, I think was huge. And for Joel, especially, but where are you at now? Like, do you think last night Jalen Brown doesn't play? Robert Williams doesn't play. How much does last night change your opinion of how you would view a playoff series against them? I mean, nothing like Jalen Brown, wow, not okay. playing in that game essentially made it so that it was like, there are no stakes for this other than the individual stuff. I honestly think it could have worked and sort of worked against them in a lot of ways where Boston being able to push them to the brink, despite not having two of their most important guys, it's like those guys are so confident against the Sixers that it's got to be just, yeah, I'm sure in that locker room after the game, they're just kind of laughing. Like we sat two of our guys and I don't, I think they're probably just being overly cautious with Brown and they're still giving them fits in in Mm -hmm. crunch time. So I think it almost goes the other way in some ways. Now, that being said, look, it's still good that they got the win. And I do think the Williams part of it is fascinating because in theory, it gives you better options overall defensively against Joel. But I think he's able to take more plays off and just kind of sit around on defense more. We saw that in the the previous meeting that they lost on uh, that Saturday night. I, I think Joel was able to sit and roam in the dunker spot on defense for most of that game when Williams was on the floor with Horford to the point that they had to abandon that lineup in crunch time 
and they played small. And once again, shout out Derek White. They bring Derek White in the game, and you know that's really what made the difference for uh, for Boston in that game. Yeah. So I, I do think there's some give and take. Like Brown obviously changes the complexion of the matchup a lot. It, it gives uh, the defenders have way less places to hide on the floor when him and Tatum are out there. The bench lineups get stronger because you have one of Tatum or Brown on the floor at basically all times. Um, but the Williams component is interesting. And I do think, and I I feel like I've brought this up a hundred times. There's some weird kind of pol- political might not be the right word, but it is kind of like a political thing happening with the Celtics where I think Marcus Smart is going to get some minutes that he doesn't really deserve because mm-hmm. he has the the reputation and the the consistency that he's had there over the years where they're probably going to be, be better off playing Derek White in those minutes. And yeah. I wonder if Joe Missoula is going to be willing to make that switch. Like you could make the case that they are not playing their optimal starting closing five a lot of the time. And, you know, that doesn't matter over the aggregate and over the course of 82 games. Like they're good enough and deep enough and talented enough that they've obviously won a ton of games, but in these matchups, like one with the Sixers or one with the Bucks or whoever they end up playing in the playoffs, like that kind of stuff matters. It's why we kill Doc Rivers at times. And so I'm very interested to see, you know, how that kind of stuff plays out for Boston. And I think that could end up in some ways working in the Sixers' favor. So when we did the pod after they lost to Boston on like that last second Tatum shot, I think I was at like 15% that I think the Sixers could win that series. I'm probably more up to 30% or like 25 around there. Um, but I do think in some ways, the main reason I think they they would lose that series still is just home court advantage. I think if the Sixers had gotten the two seed, I might be closer to like 50, 55. I think starting those two games in Boston could potentially just be a knockout blow that they can't recover from, unfortunately. But one legit reason to think that they could beat Boston is like Tatum has not been good against the Sixers all year. When you look nope. at his numbers, he has been not just not good. He's been flat out bad. I have him right here. I mean, he averages just 21 points, but like his field goal percentage is bad. What did he have last night? So he's had 12, 8, 13, and oh no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong numbers. 35, 12, 18, and 19. So he's had one good game against them in four tries. And if Tatum is not special, like if he's not great, they're a very beatable team. And I know Jalen Brown offsets that a little bit because if Tatum's struggling and Brown's not playing, they don't have anybody else of that caliber to go to. But if if that's what Tatum does in a playoff series, the Sixers can absolutely win that series. Now, Embiid has to be special. Harden has to be a bit better. And home court advantage really matters. But the reason I think last night did increase my belief that they could win is not only because of what Embiid did and the fact that they got the mental hurdle to an extent of beating the Celtics a little bit off their shoulder, but Tatum Tatum's track record is getting longer and longer of them of him not playing good against the Sixers, and that is definitely a big deal heading into a series. Yeah, and look, I, I think his outside shooting numbers, if you look at like the last two seasons, are either just average or below average. I don't know mm-hmm. what they're exactly at at this point. I could pull it up. But if he doesn't hit threes at a reasonably high clip, their offense essentially becomes they have to make a ton of jumpers because he doesn't get to the rim a ton. He's not like 
a dominant downhill threat like that. And a lot of it is predicated on he's got to be able to set defenders up with the threat of the outside shot. So if you can give him a little bit of space yet. So for this season, he is almost exactly average, maybe slightly below average. He's 35.2% on very high volume. And a lot of those are high difficulty pull-up shots. And last year he was 35.3. So after starting his career where he looked like, man, this guy's an elite high thirties, low forties shooter on good volume. He's now settled in at like, he's just kind of an average shooter from deep. And like, yeah. that has all kinds of downstream effects. Like if you can just say, look, we're going to let you shoot a lot of threes. We're going to play you single coverage. And we're going to say, if you can beat us hitting, you know, 23 foot step back jumpers, great. But we're not going to overhelp off of these other guys. And we will do that if you get on a heater. But until you can prove it, until you show us like, yeah, I'm going to hit those shots. They're going to defend them the way that they probably should, which is to say, you got to be the best guy in the series by far. And we mm -hmm. don't believe that you can be. That, and yeah. That's the right way to go about it. And I think like, you know, at a, at a basic level, where, where the Sixers could feel good is their best player is way better against the Celtics than the Celtics' best player is against the Sixers. So all the other thing, Matt, all the other things matter, home court advantage, all that stuff. The Sixers go into the series with the better player who's a tougher matchup for them than Tatum is for the Sixers. And I think that's reason to hope. So outside of that, I mean, just an awesome win last night by them. Embiid's unbelievable. We will have a Joel Embiid MVP podcast whenever it comes because it's clearly coming. He's like minus 600 now to win the award. So we will be back um, later in the week. It's Wednesday, Wednesday now, right? So probably maybe either Friday or, or Saturday. We'll figure it out. But um, before we wrap it up, any other uh, final thoughts? Uh, Jimmy Butler, who is in town <laughs> tomorrow night, came out and said that Joel Embiid is the MVP and should have won it last year. So one, uh, I think if you just look at the list of endorsements from players, I don't, I don't play enough, pay enough attention to uh, Denver to say, oh, the, all these people have said it about Jokic, but it's like Steph yeah, Curry and Dame people. Lillard yeah. and Jimmy Butler. And like, it's just on and on yeah. and on all these players who are like, not just NBA players, but like great NBA players. For them to all be on the, hey, Joel's the MVP bandwagon, it does feel like this is the roll out the red carpet. It looks like it's time for this guy to finally accept the award. Well, also, Jimmy's just setting it up so when they trade Toby to Miami for Jimmy in the offseason and Joel gets his guy, you know, he's he's laying the groundworks of uh, of returning back to Philly. You're shaking the odds of that happening that, are, I won't say zero because you never say zero, but it's about right. as close to zero as it can be. It's more likely that Joel goes to Miami than Tobias, I would say. <laughs> what a way to end the pod. <laughs> I started by by uh, praising Embiid. Kyle ends it by saying where Joel is going to get traded. We're truly having influence on each other. Uh, uh, I'm not saying where he's going to get traded. I'm just comparing <laughs> it to Tobias. That's I know. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Clap Your Hands podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As I said off the top, uh, brought to you by Odyssey Sports. But if you're still listening, hit that auto-download button. You do get the episodes quicker. And uh, leave us a review. It's uh, always fun to wake up and read a good review. So um, thanks again to, for listening. And uh, Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. See you guys.